what we're about to cover in the next few weeks could probably be some of the most important messages we have covered for us as individuals, couples, especially in regard to prayer, and for us as a church. Uh, what we're going to be taking a look at in this series is the issue of taking offense and what happens when we take offense and become bitter and uh, get turned uh, that way. So let's open up in prayer and then we'll walk through this together. Father, we seek you this morning. We sing a lot of these songs like we won't be shaken and we're, we'll be solid for you and we'll follow you. The truth is we uh, are very on and off and very fluttery. We uh, waver all over the place sometimes. And one of the things that really catches us, kills us really, is this taking of offense. Lord, we're calling this um, series a culture of offense because, Lord, we live in a culture that's offended, not only with each other, but with you. And we ask in in a special way that you would uh, use this series. I ask, Lord, that people would hear you and your voice, not just my voice, and uh, that you'd be able to take people on individual conversations and individual quiet times and journeys that um, would um, really illuminate what the problem looks like from your side of the equation. And uh, as we enter into that this morning, Lord, would you help wash us this morning? Would you help cleanse us as we come towards communion and recognize that our worthiness isn't in how we perform, but in what you've done for us? And uh, help us with that as we walk through this, and we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. Um, You can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 24. While you're turning there, I just want to give you the resources that I've been looking for. And I don't, uh, there will be no, there'll be one slide this morning. So those of you who like slides are going to be challenged. But uh, a couple things I've been doing. One is a book I've mentioned to you before. It's called The Bait of Satan by John Brevere. And it uh, is uh, Living Free from the Deadly Trap of Offense. And uh, this is a great read. Another one is a booklet I've shown you before and handed out at different times, but it's by Jim Wilson, and it's How to Be Free from Bitterness. And uh, I'm I'm working out of that. Also, uh, Pastor Nate Hedinga, who is the pastor of Cascade Community Church, which is a sister church to us, uh, did a series called Trapped. And you can go on their website and uh, go back. I think it was done in February, and uh, it's on Trapped. And he also works through this. So I just want you to know, I didn't come up with this all, this stuff on my own, okay? I'm not brilliant. I rob, steal, and plunder from whoever I can find it from. And uh, uh, this has all kind of come together uh, on this. I've been looking for where to do it. I was thinking fall, and I didn't. that didn't sit right with me, and I felt like this was the time. So we'll walk through that together. Jesus says some provocative things that often, um, when he said them, and you'll recognize this right away, when he said them, they weren't really understood at the time. And then later, there was kind of this, ah, that's what he was talking about. And I want to take you to one of those places, uh, and it's in Matthew 24, and verses 10 to 14, and this is often known as an end times passage, right? And it reads like this in the NIV. It says, At that time, many will turn away from the faith, will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Right? That's a famous verse. We have all heard of that. 
But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached the whole world as a testament to all nations, and then the end will come. Up on the board, you see this exact same passage, only it's in the New King James Version. All right? And you'll notice the wording's just slightly different, but I'd like to read that to you again. It reads like this. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. The sin of offense. It says there, and many will be offended. John Bevere points out that uh, the Greek word here used for offended or turned away is scandalon, which is uh, what we would understand as part of a, a trap that's baited. I had John Templin run home and, and get me a trap, and I asked him for one big enough that we could all see. All right, This is a classic super big mouse trap, otherwise known as a rat trap. All right, And uh, it's a very simple device. And the part that is the scandal on is this part right here. This is the part where you put the cheese or the meat or the peanut butter or whatever, and you place that on there, uh, hoping to entice a rat to come and eat it uh, and then trigger the mechanism. Now, what? This is pretty obvious, right? I mean, that's, you know, if I'm walking up, I'm going, that does not look friendly. All right, I'm, if I'm a rat and I'm looking at them thinking, there's something wrong with that deal. Something's not right. What is all this, you know? You know when you go into a situation and it just doesn't feel right, right? If I was a rat, I'd feel that way about this. How is it that a rat can totally not see this entire apparatus? The reason is, is because he becomes obsessed with something. And what's that? The bait. He gets obsessed with the bait. And when you focus on the bait, the rest of the trap disappears. We know that Satan, our enemy, is a master at deception. And we know he's a master at baiting us. And one of the things that he baits us to get us off the kingdom trail, to get us off the path from walking with Jesus, is this whole issue of taking offense. What Satan wants to lure us into is the sin of offense. He doesn't want to see the rest of the trap. This is designed to kill a rat. Just like Satan's trap is designed to kill our spiritual life, our heart, our responsiveness to the Lord. What he wants to do is he wants us to take offense. Our heart hardens up. We get bitter then we start to betray each other, and then in the end, we start to hate each other. And trust me, I've watched for a long time. He is very, very good at what he does. And so we're going to explore this topic a little bit. Bevere points out there's two types of people, those who have been treated unjustly. Uh, there are probably a number of us in here who have been sinned against. I mean, if we sat down and said, how have you been sinned against in your lifetime? we would not have enough time in the week to hear all the stories in this room. 
The second type of person are those who believe or feel they've been treated unjustly. Whether it's accurate or not, whether it's real or not, doesn't matter because they've taken offense to it. And so therefore, they are just as trapped as if they had been sinned against because it feels exactly the same way. It really doesn't matter if it's real perceived. Either way you hurt. And as long as you hurt, then you are set up to take the bait. Jesus said in Luke 17, it's impossible that no offenses should come. He said, now for the one who comes, it'd be better if a millstone was hung around their neck and thrown into the sea. So that's not a very good commentary. But Jesus was saying in this life, it's impossible that offenses won't come. Why? Because we live in a fallen world. The older you get, the more you start to realize the fall is not just a clever idea or a cute little fable uh, written in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. The fall is a disaster. We are really broken, and the people around us are really broken. And we don't have to live with each other too long before we run into this brokenness, what the Bible calls original sin. The Bible calls the fall. And it wrecks us. It sets us up. Usually, also, the issue is more than just the offense. It's who the offense comes from. The closer the relationship, the more severe the offense. And if you think through your circle and you think through how your life has played out, you would understand this. Psalm 55 12 through 14 reads like this, and you'll recognize these verses right away. It's David lamenting an offense that's been handed to him. It said, If the enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a fool were raising himself against me, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship as we walked and the throng walked with the throng at the house of God. David is, of course, in these verses talking about his son Absalom, who tore and stole the kingdom from him, and it actually ended up in Absalom's death. And David is talking about the pain of how bad it hurts with someone I once had such close fellowship with, and now we're not even friends anymore. Matter of fact, it's torn from us and... Uh, We don't even have a relationship. Anyone in here ever have a best friend you no longer have a relationship with? Painful, isn't it? Listen to what Babir points out. Who is this? Who is this that um, gives us offense? He says, they are those whom we sit with and sing alongside. Or perhaps it is the one who's delivering the sermon. I didn't like that part, but I had to keep it in there. We spend holidays, attend social functions, share offices with them. Or perhaps it's even closer. We grow up with, confide, and sleep next to them. You know, we've been, um, I've been on a, a jag here in our church for probably the last two years about couples praying together. And by the way, um, we now have over 30 couples who have said, Steve, we're in. And so we're going to go through the month of June and pray together. But 
Have you ever asked yourself the question, doesn't that seem sort of weird for you if we have a Bible, evangelical, believing Jesus church wanting to follow like we sang this morning, how is it that we're not praying together? And I want to suggest to you, we know why. It's very simple. We have taken offense against each other and our prayers have been hindered. What causes a husband and a wife to turn away from each other? Isn't something is said or done and an offense is taken over what was said or how it was said or the tone it was said in? Often the offense feels like a betrayal. How could you do that to me? Then our hearts harden and then if we're not careful, hatred sets in. We call that divorce. If you talk to, often I wear the firefighter's hat, but if you talk to our firefighter friends in Northview or our police officer friends in Northview, they will tell you the, the worst calls that they hate going on are the domestic calls, the domestic violence calls. Because there's something that erupts out of us that is so violent in those kind of situations that when they walk into those, they never really know what's totally going on. And what that tells us is that the worst wars, the worst battles are not fought on the battlefield. They're fought in our homes. They're fought between husband and wife. They're fought between parents and children where this breaks out. And often what creates that kind of volatility is the issue of offense. The home, meant to be shelter, and protection and provision and growth where we're supposed to learn and receive, to give and receive love is often the very root of our pain. Some of you going back to what your home life was is not a good journey. And when the pastor brings that up, that's meddling. And you don't want him to go there because it doesn't bring up good memories, because it flushes up a lot of hurt and a lot of offenses. Bevere goes on to say, the possibilities for offense are as endless as the list of relationships, no matter how complex or simple. And I was talking in my garage last night with Jan Heading. He's my longtime mentor and friend, and I, everything you get pretty much comes through him for me. Um, but uh, he was saying, you know, Sin just spins everything. It just makes everything incredibly complex because very seldom is it straight up. Bevere says this, This truth remains, only those you care about can hurt you. Um, I would change that a little bit as I read that. I would say this. He's saying only those you care about can hurt you. I would say this. I would say lots of people can hurt you, right? Um, I think the shots can come from all kinds of directions. I never imagined um, at 20, now that I'm 57, if you'd have told me this is the different ways you could get hurt or offended, I would have never dreamed half of these could exist. I've since learned that they can. But I would say lots of people can hurt you and cause offense, but those closest to you can hurt you the worst, right? Those closest to you your spouse, your children, your parents, your relatives, your neighbors, your best friend, those are the ones that really, really uh, sting. 
Now, one of the questions is, when we look at this passage in Matthew, who was this written to? When Jesus was speaking about this, obviously it is an end time thing where he says, many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Who was this written to? Well, this is obviously written to the church, to Christians. And therefore, there's a heads up for us. It is Christians that Satan is trying to bait. It is us sitting here this morning. He's trying to get us to swallow and then be hooked by offenses, then bitterness, and if possible, hatred. What does that look like in a church? Oh, we call that a church split, right? I bet you a number of us, if we went back through our church histories, would say, oh, ouch, I've been through a place where offense took root in a church and I saw what could happen. Both uh, Bevere and, and Pastor Nate heading a point out that the scariest part of this whole thing is that often those who are trapped, in other words, those who are in a, in a state of being offended and bitter, don't even know they're trapped. And one of the reasons we don't know we're trapped is because if we say, oh, are you offended or are you bitter? We say, oh, no, I'm fine. We, we cover that up with pride. Um, and I can look at several major places in my life where I've done that. And, and said, oh, no, it's all fine. And the truth is, I've harbored it for years. Pastor Nate points out in his sermon that the fastest growing church in America is the people who used to go to church. Why did they used to go to church? I mean, just in our tiny area, Mill Creek, there are thousands upon thousands. You know them. They live next to you. You've talked to them. And they say, oh, I used to go to church. Right? And then you say, well, why not? And invariably, some story will come out of where they were offended, where they were hurt, because they were either sinned against or they took offense for somebody else and said, "That's I'm not doing that anymore. And so they are now no longer at church. They find fault with the church. Any of you... Come on, see if you recognize these conversations. You ever gone out for dinner and somebody found out you went to church and oh, and they just went off on the church, right? Offended to the nth degree over that stupid institution or the leaders of the church. Oh, let me tell you about a pastor I once had. Let me tell you about what the board did to so-and-so. Let me ever, you guys have never heard these stories? How about the people in the church? You ever heard these phrases? The people who church, go to church are all hypocrites. Jesus, save me from your followers. Never do business with a believer. I just heard that one this week. I was talking with a guy actually two weeks ago. And the guy said, you know, the most difficult business transactions I've ever had are with people in the church. It's much easier to do business with people outside of the church. Where do all these kinds of sayings come from? They come from being offended. Somebody did something that really, really offended me. And once I get offended, I'm going to start becoming defensive. And when I become defensive, I start putting my walls up. I tell myself, that will never happen to me again. And by God, it never will. I just go ka And then nobody gets in, nobody knows, and I have radar out. 
Have you ever run into somebody who's got their antenna about 10 miles out and they come in and they're asking you questions? I run into this all the time. So what kind of church do you got here, Pastor? You can almost sense it from them. They're, they're wanting to know their feelers are way out here. Little ants dipping down, right? And they want to know. They're, they're, they're testing. They've been offended. Have you ever run into somebody who's offended with the word? I've read the Bible. You really? I, I just couldn't. You know, Jesus is okay, but I just can't handle Paul. You know, I don't know. If, if God would have left Paul out, I'd have been fine. If God would have left the Old Testament out, well, if God would have just left Jesus, okay, we don't have a Bible. Hello? It is very easy for people to take offense at the word. Have you ever read something and went, oh, that's offensive to me? Or how about Jesus himself? You know, there's a lot of people offended with Jesus right now. They won't actually come out and say it. And a lot of us have offenses against him, but we know that's not Christian politically correct speak, right? And also it would be very embarrassing if we stood up and, and said we were offended with Jesus, then lightning hit us and we were crispy critters there and everybody else went, ooh, don't do that, All right? And so we, we, we've learned to just shelve that way back there somewhere. But if you, someone prods a little bit, someone pokes a little bit and someone starts to get in your grill a little bit, it doesn't take too long for that to come up. There was a time I prayed and he did not answer my prayer. There was a time I really needed something. He did not come through for me. There was a time when I, you ever heard that before from people? This issue of event, uh, taking offense is universal. I'm going to ask the guys to come forward and uh, help us serve communion right now. If you guys would uh, come up and, and do that. So some of what we've been talking about is theoretical this morning. I would like to put shoe leather on it for us as a church family this morning and ask this question to get you to think about a communion. Let's ask this question. So who's hurt you? Who's hurt you? Thanks. Who are you offended with? I mentioned earlier that Bevere in his book makes the really good observation when he says, one way the enemy keeps a person in an offended state is to keep the offense hidden, which is cloaked for pride. So it's very easy to say, well, I'm not offended with anybody, Steve. Uh, It's clean slate. It's all good to go. Right? But he goes on to say, pride causes you to view yourself as the victim. You ever known any victims in your life? It's always somebody else's fault. Your attitude becomes, I was mistreated and misjudged, therefore I am justified in my behavior. You ever felt that? By the way, don't lie, we're going to communion. (laughs) Just saying. I was mistreated and misjudged, therefore I am justified in my behavior. Because you believe you're innocent, 
And because we believe uh, we've been falsely accused, we, we hold back what? What's the key thing we hold back? Forgiveness. Right? And what's behind that? God did not do justice the way I thought justice should be done. If I were God, they would be crispy critters right now. If he's just going to sit on his big old butt in heaven and do nothing, then fine, see if I extend forgiveness over my dead body, Jack. I will hold them to account till my dying day, and by God, somehow they will pay. And if God doesn't make them pay, I will make them pay. Have you ever run into that? Have you ever run into that in yourself? Our true heart condition is hidden from us, but it's not hidden from God. It's funny, I doesn't really seem to be too intimidated by our threats. Just because we are mistreated, we do not have permission to hold on to an offense. Two wrongs don't make a right. So again, let me ask the question. Who's offended you? Think for a second. Let me tell you where I went this week. I was shocked this week. As I ran through my life and thought about who I was offended with. And I realized how many I have been and am offended with. How would you know if you were offended by somebody? Let me throw some things out that might be helpful indicators for you. How would, how would you know? Here's the first one. Who are people you don't or won't talk to? You get a little bump from the Lord. Hey, you should give them a call. Mm -mm. Nope. Ain't doing it. Should write them a note. I'm busy. Are there people you avoid? Even here at church, you come in the lobby, see them, and you head the other way. You have no kids upstairs, but suddenly you're upstairs registering in. Next thing you know, you're helping Shannon with children's work. But it was worth avoiding that person in the lobby, right? Are there people you avoid? When a name comes up in a conversation and the feeling you get in your gut is caustic, I had to repent this week to my good friends John and Jan on the phone because I blew it. And I found myself... So I'm preaching on the very side. I got beat up this week, I'm telling you. When a name comes up in a conversation, do you get that caustic feeling? <clears throat> do you, do, are you tempted to say something negative and slander them and discredit them? Who is it that you always feel you have to slander and cut them down to size because nobody else will? Maybe belittling, chopping down. How about putting them in your place? You know, as we come to communion, and we think about this. If there was anybody who could be offended, wouldn't it be Jesus? I mean, can you imagine what it looked like to him at the Last Supper? What he knew was about to happen? Couldn't he have easily been 
offended with the Jewish leaders? Right? I mean, was that a way to be treated? Or how about the people themselves and how fickle they were? We're with you, we're with you, we're not, we're not. Come here, come here, get away, get away. Right? That whole deal. If you were Jesus, would you have had a one or two offenses with the disciples? And the way they responded after all your training? Would you have offenses against the Roman soldiers who beat you and slapped you and punched you and hit you, scourged you, stuck a crown of thorns on your head, mocked you? Would you, do you do well with mocking? Somebody mocks you? Parents, how well do you do when your children mock you? I cocked the eyebrow at my son this week, and he stopped really quick. I don't, that doesn't sit real well with me. Don't you think Jesus could have taken offense to that? I want to take us to a real familiar place. I want to take us to the Lord's Prayer. You don't need to go there. You know it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. New translation says, forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Old translation says what? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Or in other words, Lord, forgive the places where I've stepped over the line and offended other people. And if you do that, I will forgive those who have stepped over the line and offended me. Forgive us who owes us. Forgive us who I owe. Forgive where I have trespassed. Forgive who have trespassed against me. Forgive where I have offended. And may I forgive those who have offended me. The end of the Lord's Prayer is that little two verses that nobody ever reads, but they're very important to this topic as we talked this morning. It says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you either. We come to communion this morning. You know those passages that say um, don't drink or don't take communion in an unworthy way, unworthy manner, because you bring judgment upon yourself? Have you ever thought about taking communion with the sense of what offenses I'm holding? And that if I don't release those offenses, if I don't add forgiveness to it, I'm actually bringing judgment on myself. And Scripture says that many of us, therefore are what, weak and sick, and some have even died. Why? Because they have held the offense in their heart and never let it go. I've always said about Jesus, one of the things I think makes him absolutely massively worth following is because he never asked something from us that he hasn't led in himself. And I think one of the areas he has led in majestically 
why he is worth following, why he is worth kneeling down in front of and submitting to and putting all the eggs in his basket is because he has taught us how to get out of this trap of offense. He said, recognize this is a symbol for what? My body. Remember what they did to me. Remember what they did in my body. He said, I have not taken offense. I have not held that against them. What mind-blowing concept is it that the very people who whipped Jesus could be in heaven? Because Jesus did not take offense. Jesus says, eat this in memory of me. The cup is another symbol. Often, um, if you think of the juice, it represents blood. If you, if you think of blood, it represents your lifeblood. And if you think of that, that represents your dream, right? Your life. And often when someone betrays us, when someone has offended us, they have stolen something from us that's really important. Maybe it's a career opportunity. Maybe you were really politic at work and pushed hard into the wall and it was supposed to be your promotion and it was, I mean, stolen right out from underneath you and you never even knew it happened. Maybe uh, your career got cut short. Like the NFL, now in the next two weeks, the Turk's going to come and say, your time's over. You're no longer here. And it just felt very unfair. Often, it's opportunity. It's, it's my dreams is what's represented in the cup. And Jesus said, look at what they did to my dreams. Look at what they did to me. I have not held the offense against them. As I have forgiven them, will you now forgive who you need to forgive? He says, if you will, then drink this in memory of me. We're going to spend more in the next couple of weeks. Um, if you haven't liked this this morning, that's okay. You may not want to come for the next six weeks. All right? <laughs> I've got pneumonia, I came down with cancer, I've lost my leg, um, whatever. But this is where we're going in the next four to six weeks. I don't even know how long it's going to play out. Um, I was so beat up this week through this whole thing. I finished this at 12.30 last night. All right? I know this is the bullseye. This is what hardens us. This is why God's manifest presence isn't among us. This is why we don't feel the love of Jesus when we gather together. This is why we get tight. This is why we're bitter. This is why, because we have taken offense. And we're going to try to get us untrapped out of that bait over the next several weeks. Let's pray together. Father, as we do this, it's really much more important of your spirit speaking than me. But if what I have done is of you, then I pray that you would validate it and vindicate it, that you would have conversations with people this week. It would not be walk out the door and forget. Lord, the stakes are incredibly high. And we pray for your mercy and grace, and we would ask, Father, that you would forgive us. We know many times not only have we not taken offense at others, especially your own children, but Lord, we have also taken offense against you. Most of the time we lie to ourselves, won't admit that, but we have. 
we're sorry. And see what that looks like as we start to peel it out. May we become more like you. May you help us in the sanctification process that it not just be words or knowledge, doing the same thing over 30 years, but Lord, may it be where um, we actually grow in our ability to love each other. Protect us from an enemy who is a cheap shot artist and will try to test this this week and infiltrate our homes and our families and try to stir things up. May we be wise to see the trap is being baited and not take the bait. Help us with that and we pray this in your name. Amen.